that that is how leaders earn their their place in society and their vital role because you it is impossible to lead if you're if you require external validation from from every party that's important in the world and uh, you have to be willing to move and to act before there is mainstream consensus that your approach is valid and that takes it takes a lot of bravery and you have to be able to take a lot of punishment and get back up. That's Heather Flannery's definition of a re-leader. What is yours? Welcome everyone to episode 42 of the Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders, harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. Today's guest is the global lead at Consensus Health who shares what vulnerable life challenges led to overcoming a distaste for healthcare, how the convergence of blockchain and machine learning technologies can lead to a more transparent and secure future. And lastly, what leadership concerns must be addressed when designing incentives for a new system. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the real Heather Flannery. Welcome everyone to the Real Years Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Edwards. Alongside us today, we have Heather Flannery, the global lead of Consensus Health. Heather, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Kevin. Thrilled to be here. It's a pleasure. I'm thrilled to have you on because <laughs> you're one of the, the guests we had yesterday uh, that I was excited about, and you're the only person I've really done research on. And so, uh-huh. <laughs> and so that kind of threw out my you know preparation there. But uh, I wanted to have you on because I think you have unique experiences that led up to this role. Could you explain to our audience all the hats that you wear and all the personal and life experiences that have led to you being the global leader against itself? Sure, no small challenge for concision, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, I have uh, been always a serial entrepreneur and technology strategist, super passionate about positive transformation through technology innovation. But in the uh, throughout the uh, the dawn of the commercial internet, up until the um, the early 2000s, I was not focused yet on healthcare and life sciences. Always technology. I was with Microsoft. I was a serial entrepreneur. Started a number of technology ventures experienced some cons- uh, some success, and that was wonderful, but in the background of my life, uh, I had a range of, of quite significant health problems. And always, uh, as I was striving in my career, the, the, the burden of my, the circumstances of my health uh, was, a, was a constant drain on my uh, emotional and, and psychological well-being, uh, my, my productivity. I ended up developing this this uh, really deep sense that the way that healthcare is delivered and organized, particularly structurally, was deeply broken, and uh, both both patients and providers of care have major uh, major dissatisfactions. And uh, so my my own being an empirical scientific type, my own orientation to to data-driven and evidence-driven approaches led me into this enormous period of self-reflection and study where I uh, benefited from many mentors and also read everything I could get my hands on continuously and became really quite convinced that I had a vision and could make real contributions uh, to the transformation of healthcare and life sciences in my role as an entrepreneur. And uh, 
in that, um, so from the point of the mid-2000s, uh, I made a decision that I would dedicate the rest of my professional life and my career to, to making whatever contributions I could to addressing those problems. And since then, I've never had an existential crisis. You know, there, there's no gap in terms of meaning or purpose in my work. So I feel really blessed and rewarded that since that point, I have, I have been able to be solely and totally focused on the work that means the most to me. And uh, so, so some of those priorities are uh, addressing massive and dire inequities in access to health services, health care services. Uh, it, more than 60% of all health care outcomes are actually attributable to social determinants, not anything that happens in, the, in an exam room or the absence of an exam room. So the, the whole notion of what we think of as health is, is radically changing and broadening and appropriately so. And when looked at on a global, on a global scale, uh, there, there is um, absolutely crushing disparities in every dimension of, of healthcare. So I'm, I'm uh, incredibly passionate about discovering new models for improving uh, access and equity in, in, uh, in health outcomes uh, for populations globally. And uh, I have always been a technologist. I was first a technologist, still a technologist. And so as, as new paradigms have evolved, I have um, always been oriented around the, the leading edge stuff, the, the new the new stuff. And we are right now on the brink of such a radical phase shift, paradigm shift in our technological underpinnings. I think it's even more significant than the pre-internet world and the post-internet world. It is, it is more significant than that. Um, I think of it like, what if, what if the Gutenberg printing press, the steam engine, and the integrated circuit all hit commercial viability and were impacting the world all at once? That's the level of disruption and opportunity and risk we have before us right now with the converging technologies of, of blockchain, artificial intelligence, and an entirely new paradigm for privacy and cybersecurity in advanced cryptographic methods. So my work involves looking at those infrastructures and those capabilities as catalysts to transformation. Heather, I want to jump into those, but before we do, uh, it seems like you're, you're really passionate about this. And it seems like um, you know you have a similar trait from a lot of the other entrepreneurs that we've interviewed in the sense that maybe you reached like a crucible in your life where something had happened. Uh, I mean, would you mind like opening up and sharing about that experience? And did did you experience any pressure to to really just that made you so determined to to figure out a new outcome? What was it? And could you explain maybe uh, this personal experience to our audience? Uh, it's a div there, there were many personal experiences uh, that informed my point of view. I mean, I, I think um, being a young person responsible for an ailing and aging loved one, um, you know, that, and, and that having skipped a generation 
in a sense, is an unusual kind of life experience. Uh, and observing unnecessary suffering, observing medical errors, observing systems falling apart, and the human being at the center of the system uh, being unfortunately left behind. Um, the, the experiences of caring for a loved one through, through illness um, are very, very intimate, very personal, and can be exceedingly painful. And you know, the, hum the human experience of birth and death is universal to us all. But we play different parts at stages of our life. You know? And if you play a part that is unusual for the stage of your life, and you happen to be observing everything through the eyes of someone who thinks about systems and processes and data and that type of thing, and, and you can just suddenly see before you how much opportunity there is for change and you know, perhaps ways to actually materially move it. Um, that uh, that and, and my own, um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into my personal health history, but I will share that uh, the I I, uh, I suffered from a condition that was poorly uh, understood, that um, where there was poor translation of research data into clinical practice, and where there were uh, a wide range of, of biases at play in the in the care delivery model. All of all of this uh, contributed to, uh, at the time, what I experienced as a deep distrust for healthcare providers and the healthcare healthcare delivery infrastructure generally. A very profound lack of trust that that I was going to be okay, or that my loved one that I was managing uh, was going to be okay. And uh, you know, there was anger there, there was bitterness there. Um, eventually, there was loss there. But over time, uh, I, I have come to have the greatest respect and admiration for uh, for physicians and for nurses and for the for the armies of people around the world who dedicate their life to doing the best they possibly can toward these problems. And what was once a lot of vitriol and anger and bitterness has, has been replaced by this 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 love of this whole community and the heart that they all bring to their work, and that includes administrators and policymakers and payers, the the kind and and the 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 extraordinary inventiveness of of the pharmaceutical companies and medical device companies that are that are inventing new new possibilities every day, there is a common thread. There there is a there is a unifying mission to do good among all of these people that I observe. And so all my bitterness and rancor has long since subsided, and it's been replaced with a desire to lead in this community in the areas where I have gifts mm. and where uh, other, other technologists and innovators' gifts can also be harnessed and focused in a way that's going to, that, that's going to really have an impact. Well, thanks for sharing that, Heather. I know it's difficult and, and it's very motivational. That's why I asked it. I think our audience will definitely gravitate towards something like that. Um, you know, it, so it seemed like that all that experience got, maybe gave you more of an appreciation and a different perspective. And that's also translated and manifested into technology and your role. Um, you gave a great example of all these 
technologies coming all at once now. Yeah. Um, if I am building a Lego set and I have all these different toys and Legos to play with, how do I know which ones to pick and how do I know how to connect all of them together? Maybe elaborate on what your technology is using to bring all this data together to help people. Sure, sure. So uh, I'll first, I, I like your Lego metaphor, by the way. That's pretty, that's, that's, that's interesting, all of these different components. Um, so, so blockchain is, is a, a new way of, uh, a new way of institutions and individuals to organize themselves. And it manifests itself in technology, but it's more than technology. It's also the first time as, as a human species we've ever had any opportunity to conceive of an experiment that involves what motivates and incents human beings around different behaviors, and then execute that experiment, see what works, and rapidly iterate. We've never had that before. Uh, blockchain and the crypto economic systems that can ride on top of blockchain give us a set of tools in the toolbox to take everything we've ever learned about game theory everything that we know in the entire body of knowledge of behavioral economics and have a set of technologies that allow us to define some system and implement a set of incentives and then iterate and refine those incentives until it actually can achieve our goals <clears throat> and to do so in a bioethically intentional way. Um, with, with new opportunities to not only achieve a goal for certain populations, but to, I think of it as circling back and addressing the needs of the vulnerable populations that we inadvertently, through no intention, left behind in our last revolutions of technology. So, so uh, in, in a simple way to think about what blockchain is by comparison to the current state we all understand, imagine every large organization, public sector, private sector, and their IT departments, and every single thing that that IT department does, all of it, the whole thing, the giant apparatus, the monolithic systems, the capital planning and investment control, the data analytics, the, the predictions, everything that comes out of that function. Imagine abstracting that function into an infrastructure and an organization that is shared among some group of stakeholders. An example, you know, to connect to something um, concrete, imagine um, your list of medications and every doctor you've ever seen in your life gathered a list of medications, some prescribed new medications to you. Every pharmacy you have ever had any prescription filled in in your entire life has some list of medications sourced from somewhere, including those prescriptions that they filled. Every insurance company that has ever covered your life has a list of these medications and what they've paid for. The critical thing of all of this is that these medications, ostensibly, are important to your health and well-being. Uh, uh, contraindications or drug interactions can do great harm. The information and the data about these medications is uh, is critical to the patient and to the provider's ability to, to uh, deliver appropriate care. Right now, your prescription information lives in hundreds of splinters all over every organization that has ever touched your life as a patient. 
uh, in a blockchain future, the medication reconciliation process would be in a shared infrastructure where every party that needs to know what medications that you've ever been on, what medications you're on right now, what is absolutely up to the moment and current, would access a common infrastructure, like, uh, like a power grid. For example, instead of every every building in a, a community having its own power generator, instead you hook up to the grid. And the the profundity of that is easy to sort of miss the significance of how big that can be. We have in, in blockchain the first intrinsically longitudinal data structure where every 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 participant in some network reaches computational trust about the correctness of every transaction. And by intrinsically longitudinal, I mean that the order and the sequence and the timing of events cannot be tampered with, right. okay. cannot be in error. Got it, it makes sense. And, and the thing I like to bring about blockchain is it's only gonna progress as much as people trust it. And I think like my parents' generation, um, they're a little like timid of it right now because they just don't know what it is. Um, but for me, interviewing social enterprises, I think blockchain technology is fundamentally the most revolutionary concept we have out there today. And that's because I define a social enterprise or social impact as something that intentionally, as it scales, intentionally solves an environmental or social problem. And so what you're saying with this new technology is, you know, throw out the cloud, everything's stored on a, on a data center, we're gonna throw it out and you have control of your own prescription pills. You have control of your own electricity, your own medicine, and therefore no one can tamper with it because I know on a distributed ledger, every single time it goes from one node to the next, it's encrypted and then decrypted and encrypted again and it's almost physically impossible to hack into. So now there's a sense of security with your own health, health and information. What other building blocks need to come together in order for this thing to take off? Yeah, so uh, you're probably familiar with machine learning and artificial intelligence. Yes. So uh, briefly, our, our whole history of, of acquiring data on which you could train a learning algorithm has been to source data from all over the place and get it into bigger and bigger and bigger data lakes, basically. It's a, it's a massive centralization of data that introduces challenges with its structure, with its provenance or its origins, uh, all kinds of challenges, not the least of which is the, the actual data governance and the ethical posture of the use of data without any remuneration to the original data subject, without any, uh, without any ability for the subject to benefit or to choose uh, whether perhaps to donate, to be, to be compensated. So there are privacy, security, and bioethical implications. And I also think there are technical limitations, like we've, we've gone to the logical extreme of the idea of the data lake, like how big is it going to get, uh, and the amount of total data in the world is is exponentially increasing. So, so the idea that well, if if we're going to use machine learning to create to to make our massive discoveries that are just around the corner, you know, you can see them just around the corner, uh, are we going to be taking this exponentially growing data set under bioethically? 
challenged models and just continue to centralize it where it's a honeypot for hackers, et cetera. So the, the way that I see this coming together is that you have to be able to use that data to train machine learning algorithms without moving it. And that's where the intersection of blockchain and AI comes together in convergence in what I think will be truly extraordinary. Uh, and, and that's a big part of uh, the technical work at, that, that my organization is leading, I think. Uh, I, I feel that we're leading that consensus health. So uh, what, what federated learning means is that instead of having some algorithm that's trying to learn uh, and bringing all the data to where the algorithm is, instead, simply put, it means taking a, dis a decentralized algorithm and bringing it to where the data is everywhere, at the edge, on your device, on, on uh, other, other infrastructures all over the place, and being able to return inferences and findings without ever disclosing the underlying data itself. So it's, it is a combination of decentralized AI capabilities that are only possible because of its convergence with blockchain. The incentives to motivate parties to, to allow this to occur and to make it possible to do so ethically, and then very advanced privacy-preserving and trusted computation infrastructures that are emerging now did not exist even, even just a very short time ago. And that's things like zero-knowledge proofs and diff diff uh, uh, differential privacy and trusted execution environments and on and on. Like, so it's pretty exciting stuff. Well, in terms of like infrastructure for blockchain technology, requires like a lot of energy. You just mentioned the, the data lakes and it being like a honeypot for hackers to come in and draw out your information. Um, what infrastructure needs to be put in place first um, in order for this blockchain to, you know, I guess, take off and, and come to fruition, as well as um, is this something that governments have to step into? Uh, for instance, uh, I interviewed, this is a large stretch, Heather, but I just interviewed someone who is uh, taking on confusion at the waste bins. Mm -hmm. Making labels uh, for a policy, like a stop sign. Mm -hmm. Stop signs are uh, commercialized because everyone would be competing to have the best stop sign. <laughs> they need to have the same look, or else no one will know what a stop sign looks like. Right. So, is this something that needs to be uh, enforced in the government as well as commercialized? And what does that infrastructure look like? Yeah. So, first, Sorry, big question. on the <laughs> uh, on the point of energy consumption. Uh, uh, blockchain infrastructures run on what are called different consensus protocols. The one that is very highly consuming of energy is called proof of work. So the Bitcoin and Ethereum mainnet, public mainnet, run on that protocol. Uh, Ethereum is is uh, uh, being upgraded to a different consensus uh, protocol uh, in the next couple of years. But importantly, all of these networks, these these blockchain networks of different groups of stakeholders holders don't necessarily have to use a public blockchain to do their work, which means that they are more scalable and do not have the, uh, they don't use the proof of work algorithm or consensus protocol, and they don't have the environmental impact in, in, that, in that context. Okay. Uh, there are still very important backstops that these public global networks deliver, and so they do play an important role, but it doesn't mean that everything that we're talking about here would be happening on 
on um, the Ethereum mainnet, for example. Uh, <clears throat> in terms of the role of government, uh, so I will speak solely from the perspective of a healthcare and life sciences perspective. Uh, there is absolutely no question that the public and private sector are already deeply partnered in every aspect uh, in, in developing and developed health economies of the, the payment for healthcare, the design of healthcare delivery, and therefore it would be impossible to positively transform healthcare in any model other than different kinds of public-private partnerships. And, and that's, my, that's my opinion, not a fact, but uh, I have a really valued engagement uh, in both the public and the private sector globally uh, to, to coordinate that, that, those kinds of transformations. Heather, for all this to take care, it's gonna take a lot of leadership. Um, the last question I have for you today is, what is your definition of a real leader? Yeah, it's so uh, it's an honor to be here with the Real Leader team. I, I love the uh, I love the mission and the message, and uh, it, it aligns it aligns very well with me. Uh, for for me, and this is my my personal experience as a leader. Uh, it's about being courageous, being willing to take risks, will it, being willing to expose yourself to criticism, uh, and not. Um, in that willingness to be vulnerable, to expose yourself to criticism, to take risks that others wouldn't, um, th that, that is how leaders earn their, their place in society and their vital role. Because you, it is impossible to lead if, you're, if you require external validation from, from every party that's important in the world. And uh, you have to be willing to move and to act before there is mainstream consensus that your approach is valid. And that takes, it takes a lot of bravery and you have to be able to take a lot of punishment and get back up. Heather, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for sharing everything about your own personal experiences. Talked about blockchain today, how it's working, how the government can be involved, and lastly, wrapped it up with your definition of a realtor. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, for Heather Flannery, I'm Kevin Edwards, asking you to go out there, take risks, be exposed, <laughs> take some bravery, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Heather. Thank you so Appreciate much. And thanks everyone for watching this special interview uh, from Exponential Medicine here in Coronado, California. I am your host, Kevin Edwards of the Realtors Podcast, and just want to make sure you guys are getting more content. So make sure to subscribe, click the button below, and ring the bell to be notified of more interviews just like this. If you aren't aware already, uh, this interview potentially might be in Real Leaders Magazine. You can go online to our website, to our store, and our shop at real-leaders.com slash subscribe and pick up your magazine today. It's $18 a quarter, plenty of insights and incredible people and leaders that are trying to make the world a better place. Thanks for tuning in.